All right, if we get started, it's already six o'clock according to that clock on the wall back there. That's one we're gonna go back. That's the one I'm looking at. Amen. Thank y'all for being here tonight. Y'all are a little, uh, not a big crowd, but a rowdy one. <laughs> a talkative crowd. Got a lot to talk about. That's good. That's good. Uh, we got any prayer requests tonight? I remember uh, Gary and Sherry, uh, Gary's back home. He, he got back home today, so I'll be in prayer for them and uh, continue to pray for them. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother James Hill, would you lead us in prayer, please? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be back in our house, our Lord. We pray that you just be with us as, as uh, we go through the through the Bible Lord tonight there uh, on uh, on Gary that uh, he explained that everything that uh, uh, pretty much give us satisfaction there, Lord. Pray, Lord, you just be with the sick and the breathing and, and heal comfort them the way they don't even do. He's saying we ask your name. Amen. 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 We're in Leviticus chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Leviticus, uh, verse 20. Before we left off, we were talking about scapegoat. 16. So, uh, Leviticus 16, yep. verse 20. Somebody read for me uh, verse, verses 20 through 22. Sam, go ahead and read that for me. I ain't but three verses. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get that to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking for it, ain't he? 16? 16, uh, verses 20 through 22. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. All right. So we 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 made, asked the question last week when they when they said they had two goats. One of them had to be for the sin offering, and one of them had to be for the to to carry the sins away. Uh, and I asked the question, which one was Jesus? And of course, the answer is he was both goats. So uh, he, he's, not, he's not only the sin offering, but he's also the scapegoat because if you'll notice in this uh, scripture right here, it said when he, when he had made an end to reconcile the holy place and the tabernacle, that, uh, they, they brought him the live goat. That's Aaron. And look what he does. He lays both hands upon the, the head of the goat and confesses. Y'all see that? And they always pay attention to what, what it takes for these sins to be placed on the scapegoat and carried away. Yes, sir. I, I, I just curiosity, probably my stupidity, but uh, did, they, did the Israelis confess their sins to him that he would know the iniquities of the people of Israel to he, confess? He knew their iniquities, yes he did. So they lined up and told him what they had done? Or? No, he, he's been all through the year of these okay. people, because this okay. is the annual ceremony. He's been all through the year of these people, and he knows what their sins are. Okay. That, that they have, uh, and he pretty much kind of knew, just kind of like you kind of know the sins of our yeah. nation. Yeah. You know, okay. 
But uh, anyway, it says that, uh, that he placed his hands upon the head of the live goat and confessed over him all, not just one or two, but all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. Now what does that tell us about what Christ requires us if he's going to be the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins? What does that tell us we need to do? We have to confess. Amen? You don't have to confess to me, but you have to confess to Christ because Christ being the high priest did away with this, this high priest. Amen? We don't need this high priest. We don't need Aaron anymore. We got Jesus Christ. And we don't need the scapegoat anymore because Christ is the scapegoat. We don't need the sin goat anymore because he is the sin goat. His blood has done everything that these goats and these bulls and all this has done. He has sanctified everything by his blood. But in order for him to take our sins away, we have to give them to him. Does that make sense to you? I can't. If I, I can take something from you, but if I, if I just take it, I, I forcibly take it. But if you hand it to me and I take it, you give it to me. Jesus Christ wants us. This is the scripture that shows us a picture of what Christ wants from us and what Christ is <laughs> to us. And so we have to learn to be able to confess our sins, not just not just the sins. We have to confess all of it to Him. You know, a lot of people think that, well, I don't have to confess the little stuff. Well, I don't know about y'all, but that little stuff got a way of building up on you. Amen? Amen. Bottom line, there ain't no little stuff. Ain't nothing. A sin is a sin to God. Now, there are different punishments for different <laughs> sins. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but confession is the key for Christ to take those sins from you, to take them away from you. The blood, uh, the blood is the atonement. The confession is how he takes them from you. Okay? So always remember that. Never be afraid to get to a place and confess your... Have you ever done that? Okay. Oh, <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I, let me tell you how this makes me feel. When I have sins that are usually personal and I go to confess them to the Lord... It kind of gets embarrassing a little bit. Does it do y'all that way? Yeah. It, it does. It, it, it makes me kind of reflect on why in the world did I do Or why do I keep doing that? Does that change your sin? I'm just glad he takes them, aren't you? That keeps rattling around in my head what you said the other day. The, the things that I know to do, I do not. The things I know not to do, I do. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Paul, if that Paul felt that way, my goodness, you know, and, and I'm glad Paul said that, aren't you? Yeah. I'm glad he said that. Uh, but, uh, and I'm not glad that he, he, he suffered that, but I'm glad he said that because we all can relate to what he said. And we all understand where he was coming from. So we have to confess this, uh, uh, our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions, and and. And then he said he put them on the head of the goat. And, and, and look what happens to them when he puts them on the goat. Where, where, where do they go? They're going to him. He takes it away. Amen. So the, the, the goat, uh, the, they said, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man. And what, now why do you think they had to have a fit man take that goat off into the wilderness? What does it mean by fit man? A strong man. 
a, a, a strong, responsible man that would take that goat where he's supposed to be and get that goat where he needed to be. The goat's kind of like a donkey. He, he didn't want to leave. Uh-huh. <laughs> at, at some point, he's going to have to drag his goat in. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, this goat's going to goat up on him, amen, and, and going to get stubborn as a goat. You ever heard of that phrase, stubborn as a goat? There's a reason for that. <laughs> and so this goat's fixing to be led away from all the other goats that he's been raised with and lived with. And he might follow this guy for a little bit. After a minute, he's going to think, wait a minute. You know. Because he don't realize he's carrying all these sins on his head. Now, he don't know that. But all he wants to do is get back to the other goats. Because where he's taking him, there ain't no more people. He's going to take him out in the wilderness. And he's going to turn him loose. And he's going to be the only goat out there. And out there with the wild animals and the and animals that hunt goats and kill them and eat them. This goat ain't going to go there. I'm sure he's got to travel a pretty good distance too or the goat would come back. That's right. If he don't take him to, to, to and then don't tell us how far he takes him. He just says take him out into the wilderness. And, but I think that's why it says to do, take a fit man. He's going to have to be fit and able to take him as far as he's got to. He's going to have to be able to get him there. And then he's going to keep him from following him back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he might have to pick up a club or a big rock to get his goat to go and leave him alone. But when, but when he takes him into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities. Think about that. Christ can bear every one of our iniquities of the whole of, of this whole church, of this whole community, of this whole nation, even better <coughs> our whole world. He can bear those burdens for us. He can take away our sins. And so it, it depends on how we believe in him, what we know about his blood, and that we confess to him what it is we need forgiveness for. So he can take that away from us. Okay. All right. Now, this also includes repetitive sin, by the way. Because how many of you got sins that you just do over and over and over? Bob, you're the only one in the room. <laughs> now, we we all got repetitive sins. We all do. And uh, you know, sometimes, and I tell you all this a lot. Sometimes, instead of just praying for forgiveness, we need to pray for deliverance. To the Lord deliver me from this evil that's in my life, this sin that plagues me, because it's a plague, is what it is, and it's one that uh, that we have yielded ourselves to so often that sometimes it almost becomes comical and common sense are, are common to us. That it, if this happens, I'm going to do this. If, if this happens, I'm going to say this. Okay. So so sometimes you have to pray for. Deliver me from this sin. Deliver me from this evil. He can do that too, by the way. Amen? Yeah. He can do that. So sometimes we need to do that. All right. Any questions or comments about scapegoat? Okay. Somebody read for me verses 23 through 28, please. I'll read it. <clears throat> and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering 
and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall be burned upon the altar. And he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skin and their flesh and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. There's a lot to, to take in right there. A lot, uh, a lot going on right there, but I want, I want to uh, draw your attention to some things. You know, I've always told y'all as we study the Old Testament to make sure you see Christ in the Old Testament. And these, and these uh, offerings, these sacrifices, it's so easy to see Christ. But sometimes there's things in here that, that gives us a picture of what Christ actually did that we don't even take note of. As I studied this uh, this week and, and uh, just this week and today, I've looked at this quite a bit this week, and uh, and especially this, this particular scripture right here, when Aaron had come into the tabernacle uh, of the congregation, and Aaron come into the tabernacle of the congregation, what does he do? He pulls off those garments that he had while he was in there. Now, these garments are stained. They have blood on them. They have different things from what he'd been doing. And and uh, and I thought, well, you know, what what do you see in this, this garment change that would apply to Jesus Christ? And they stripped his clothes off. Oh. And they cast lots for him. Oh. They took his clothes away from him when they crucified him. Now, a lot of y'all don't ever think, because we see pictures like this right here where he had this loincloth. I'm not so sure that he was not completely naked when he hung on the cross. Because part of the, the torture of the cross was the humiliation that went along with it. And for him to be seen naked by people would have been the most humiliating thing for a Jewish man of that day where they made fun of him about everything. And Bible don't tell us all that they said and all that they did. He was, he was humiliated to the nth degree. There was no end to the humiliation that, that he that he languished with. So these, these people had taken his garment, his clothes off of him, and when they got to his coat, what was different about his coat? Yeah, no it was seamless. It was a solid woven material, and they recognized the value of this, and they cast lots for it to keep it turned up. This was all prophesied that this was happening. But here we see a picture of it when he comes out of the altar after putting all this blood out. Now he's coming back out so he can he can go to the uh, altar of sacrifice to lay the, the, the fat and stuff on there. And then the rest of this stuff is going to be removed outside the camp. Every bit of this is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, not only was Christ's clothes taken off of him, but when he came forth from the grave, where was his grave clothes? He took them off. Somebody did. Folded them neatly and placed them on the place he lay. Now, when Mary saw him, was he naked? No, no. Wait a minute. 
He had clothes on. Matter of fact, she thought he was who? A gardener. So he had common clothes on when he resurrected. Okay? So this is all a picture of these clothes changing that he's doing. He takes off this fancy garment. He puts on a planter garment, his own garment. He has to wash himself and, and, and be, make himself holy. And, and then he comes forth and he offers the burnt offering on the altar of sacrifice. Now, who is our sacrificial offering? Jesus is. Okay? Now, nobody could touch this, this sacrifice except Aaron, the high priest. When Mary encountered Jesus and she thought he was the gardener, she went to touch him. What did he tell her? Don't do it. Don't touch me. Why? I haven't sinned yet. Oh, I haven't gone to my father yet. Now, why would he have to go to that father? Why would Jesus have to, when he resurrected, before anyone could ever touch him, he had a, he had a purpose he had to do. What, why did he have to go to the Father? Anyone? Brother Sam? To present his blood. Ah. Oh, he had to present himself a sacrificial offering, holy before God. He went to the altar in glory where the Father was. And before he could go, he appeared so they would know he was there because he knew they were coming to that tomb. And so he let them see him, but he wouldn't let her touch him because he had not yet done what Aaron was fixing to do. Think about this. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful symbol of who Christ is and what Christ does for us. Amen? And so... When, when she wouldn't, he, but the next time Christ appeared, what did he tell him to do? You know what? He went to glory and come back mighty fast, didn't he? He did what he had to do with his blood before the Father. He took care of business. And when he showed up, touch me. Think about that. Yeah, wow. You know what, Brother Gary, I've heard this. Sometimes some people would ask the question why he told Mary not to touch him, and some would say, well, now that he's clean, he can't be contaminated or defiled again. And then others would say that his relationship with her as a man on earth, because that was his mother, now he's her Lord. So. Now, it, I, it's, I, I it's more to do because it says right here, he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on the garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering, the burnt offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. So nobody could touch Aaron when he came out. He was because he's washed, he's clean, he cannot be touched, he cannot be defiled by anyone touching him. Right. Because he has, he has prepared himself according to the commandment of, of God through Moses. And he has to perform this ritual. Nobody touches Aaron when he's doing this stuff. Well, that Mary was Mary Magdalene, wasn't it? It was not his mother Mary. No. That wasn't? Mm. No, it wasn't his mother Mary. It, it, was, it was Mary Magdalene, who it was. They first encountered him. Because she ran <coughs> back and told them that she had seen the Lord, and they thought she was nuts. Yeah. You know, when uh, we was back on the, when he, the fit man took the goat out to lead him out, 
you know, the Bible says that he removed our sins as far as the east from the west. <laughs> I just wonder if he led him in one of those two directions and not north and south. I wouldn't doubt he did because yeah. everything was so close to Yeah, and the Bible don't say, but the yeah. thing about it is the goat didn't come back. Yeah. And that's the thing. Those sins that left with that goat stayed gone with that goat. That's why it took a fit man to take him where he had to be. Okay? And so th there's so much here. There's so much beauty in, in these scriptures right here. And then, then look at this. I want to I bring one more thing to your attention. After he brought, he, he washed himself, he changed his clothes, he, he washed himself, he presented himself for the people. And the fat of the sin offering which the Lord, remember the Lord said, I, the fat is mine. Okay, he wanted the fat. That's what he wanted. And, and he let go of the goat for the scapegoat. Uh, and he that had gone for the scapegoat, he, he's come back, he's got to wash his clothes, he's got to bathe his flesh in water, and afterward come into the camp. Everything had to be bathed and cleaned before they were allowed to proceed. And then he says, and the bullet for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, one shall carry without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. Now this, this statement, uh, without the camp or outside the camp, is something that the book of Hebrews makes a, uh, makes a note of. Chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 12, reads like this, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, this New Testament right here, with his own blood suffereth without the gate outside, outside the camp. Yeah. Outside the city of Jerusalem. In order to sanctify the people with his blood, it had to happen outside the camp. Everything Jesus was was on the cross and he gave every bit of it. But nothing left of him to give. Amen. Wow, that's cool, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. we, we just we can't praise we can't praise Christ enough. We we can't give him enough honor. We can't give him enough glory. We can't give him enough praise. We can't worship him enough. And we can't witness for him enough. You know, sometimes people get burned out. I guess we all can. And, and, and to me, it's a beautiful thing to see somebody willing to give of their time and their self so much that every once in a while they just whoop, give out. We're human. You know, Christ, every once in a while, he just took his apostles and said, hey, let's go. He, he was a man. He understands that. <laughs> but some people do that and don't give nothing. I got to get away from him. <laughs> God help us. We, we, can't, we can't do, and, and I know it's not about the doing, but we are saved to do. Amen? Amen. We're saved to be partakers. Amen? Yeah. We're not saved to take ourselves away and don't, don't do anything else. And don't partake of anything else. We're, we're saved and we become partakers with Christ. Not only in the good things, but the Bible says we also partake in other things that we don't want to like. 
We are to partake in His suffering. Amen? Well, that's Scripture. Paul said, I count it a blessing to suffer like Jesus did. There's a reason for that. Because the Lord said, yeah, you're going to suffer like me. If I suffer, you ain't no better than me. You're going to suffer too. And, and for people to say, oh, if you get saved, it's just a glory, hallelujah. Uh, once you get saved, now you've got to live the life. Once you get saved and feel the Spirit, now you've got to walk in the Spirit. And we talked about this the other day, but the problem being, there's another Spirit with with it in there. And it's that old stubborn, hard-headed, <coughs> flesh Spirit that we have before we got saved. And they still want to party on. They wrestle around the whole lot. That, 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 you know, that's what the story of, ja uh, of, uh, of uh, Jacob, wrestling with that angel. That's what that's all about. And he was named Jacob, Israel, after that. You know what that meant? You know why that angel named him Israel? Or the Christ, I think it was Christ myself that he was wrestling with. You know what Israel means? <laughs> Prince of God. And he said, man. He, he wrestled all night. And finally, he had to put his uh, hip or leg, leg or knee or whatever was out of joint. Made him cripple the rest of his life. He, when, he, when he gave blessings the way he was leaning on the staff at that time, that never left him. What does that tell us? We're going to wrestle all our lives. But we got to learn to yield to that one who can put us out of joint. <laughs> Amen. We got to learn to do that. So that's, that's what the Holy Spirit is, is to give us the power to be able to do that. Amen. So that's why the Bible tells us that we, our spirit, must agree with the Holy Spirit, and then there can be contentment inside of us. Until our spirit agrees with the Holy Spirit, there's not contentment in us. We're not content. You ever met somebody that couldn't be content with nothing? Uh-oh. That they, they could have something one week and then think, well, that's just the way I want it. And then they tear it all down and they rearrange it and do it all over again. They can't find that contentment. And, and the Bible tells us that, that contentment is great gain. Because it brings peace to your life, it brings peace to your soul, it brings peace to everybody around you. So we have to, that contentment comes when your spirit and the Holy Spirit agree. Okay? That's why Paul could be content when he was locked up in prison. He was content. Said he was. And his worry was not for himself, it was for all the churches that he wasn't able to go to. That's why we got all those letters written. And what did he do? He 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 told him, "Let's go. Come on, you can do this." He 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 just, Amen. He wanted to spur them up. Don't let where I'm at stop you from doing what you know to do. I'm here because I did what I know to do. Hmm. All right. Any questions about this? You uh, you mentioned about. This grave clothes about the napkin being folded up. I've heard it. I don't know if it's any truth to it or not. I've heard. I've heard it told that say like uh, 
when they had a feast or a, or a meal or something like that, if they got up and left the table, yes. their napkin, they just crumpled it up and left it there. Yeah. I've seen the five they weren't through, they was coming back. Yes. But whenever they was ready to leave the table completely, they folded that napkin up and laid it there, signifying they wasn't coming back. Amen. And, and so that spoke volumes to those Jewish people when they saw that. When Peter and John saw that, it spoke something to them. Why they recorded it in the scripture. That he wasn't coming back to that grave. His, his grave days are over with. There's no minimal grave for him. No more death for him. He done it all. That's fine. I ain't coming back here. <laughs> That's why the Bible proclaimed Paul proclaimed, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Yeah. And what did he say? <clears throat> Woo! Swallowed up in victory with Jesus Christ. Because he left those clothes folded, he ain't going back there. And those who die in him ain't going back there either. When, we, he, when he takes us out of that grave, we ain't never going back to it again. Never. Amen. Amen. Beautiful, isn't it? Okay. Let's talk. Uh, somebody read for me verses 29 through 34. Let's go ahead and finish this chapter. I'll do it. This shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by statute forever. And the priest whom he shall appoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Alright, so we find now that the observing of the Day of Atonement was something that was going to go on forever. It was not, never to come, have an end. It says that it's uh, in the uh, seventh month on the tenth day of the month. I think my study Bible, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, says that sometime uh, this, this time of the year is sometime uh, late September and early October. Our, our month kind of uh, collide there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read that somewhere today. Yeah, September. Yeah, yeah. Yes, September and October. Yeah, September and October. So that's the time of time of the year this is all taking place. But it's uh, <coughs> Jewish calendar is a little bit different from ours, and so uh, and then he, he makes the statement on, uh, in verse 31: "It shall be a Sabbath day of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls." By, by a statute forever. So this is something that he wants done every year at the same time, the same day, and it's gonna be done after the same exact fashion. 
and, and he goes on and tells that, that he talks about the, the priests that kind of don't necessarily have to be Aaron because he knows it goes on forever. Aaron won't do it forever. And so he, he wants to make sure that they know that what Aaron did at his first uh, uh, atonement is supposed to be done in the future also. And, uh, and he says also that not only do you atone for the people, you atone for the sanctuary, you atone for the uh, tabernacle of the congregation, for the altar, and, and shall make an atonement for the priest. So everything involved in the sacrament of, of this atonement had to, be, uh, had to be consecrated and had to have an atonement made and be sanctified. Now, if they had to do that for the tabernacle, what does that say about us? <coughs> huh? Who? Our body is the tabernacle. We are the tabernacle now. So what is this telling us? I, I say this all the time, and and, uh, and I mean this. And, and I know Brother Sam said what he did about uh, the other day in, in our meeting. Y'all didn't hear it, but about questioning your salvation. I never want anyone to question their salvation, but I do want people to make sure they are saved. And so I, I see that, that there, there's a process where I'm not saying it be, it's not being resaved, but I tell you all the time, you need to, to be filled over and over and over again. And, and I think this is an answer to the, the sanctification, the atonement that, that he calls for that these people should make every year. And I'm not saying, I don't think the Bible's telling them, well, you need to, you need to be refilled every year. I, I think you need to be refilled whenever you feel drained. Amen. And don't have nothing to do with whether you're saved or not. You can't draw water from the wells of salvation unless you're saved. So there, there, there's something else that goes with that. When you're saved, you've got to find a way to stay full. Amen. You need to get topped up every day. That's right. You need, you need to top it off as often as you want. And, and, and there's a, that, that's something we all need to learn how to do and not just rely on a one-time experience. I've done that one time, I ain't got to do that again. Well, Christ died once and for all. Yeah. But he prayed often. Yeah. Amen? And he sought for the will of the Father often. And so he said, and then he said, this shall be an everlasting statute uh, unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And so this is something that Jesus uh, he is our everlasting statute. He is, he is our everlasting. He's our everyday Savior. Amen. Amen. Any questions about any of this? I'll just go ahead and get started on chapter 17. Uh, if I get somebody to read me the first seven verses. I'll read it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons and unto all the children of Israel and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying, What man soever there be of the house of Israel that killeth an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord. Blood shall be imputed unto the man 
he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end of that, the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, unto the priest, and offer them for peace offering unto the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and burn it that fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. All right. You know, when I when I read this and, and, and began to look at this real close, in uh, in verse three, he's talking about uh, it, when a man, if a man there be of the house of Israel that killeth an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or he kills it out of the camp and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle. You see that? So he didn't tell these people you can't kill the animal away from the tabernacle. Now where they were, they were supposed to have been brought to the priest and killed at a certain location there. But he, he realizes because when he goes talking about the peace offerings and all this other stuff, I, I got to try to figure all this out in my brain. That's why I want to say it to you. But he was telling them, if you do that, you better bring that animal to the tabernacle. You see that? You, you bring it. He said, uh, he said, you do this offering unto the Lord. Uh, he said, uh, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man. You see that? And he hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from his people. Now, there's a lot of people today that tells us, I ain't got to go to church. Huh? This scripture right here said, well, you ain't got to bring, you ain't got to kill that animal with a tabernacle, but you're going to bring him here. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. That's what cut off means, by the way. In most cases in the Bible, that's what it means. They say, I'm gonna, they're going to cut you off. They, they're going to kill you. They, and, and it can also mean you're going to be cast out of the Jewish community. That's a pretty serious offense. And he said, so if you do this, if you kill, because look at the animals. The ox ain't talking about birds. Ain't talking about grain. He's talking about when you kill an animal, and you kill it for the purpose of sacrificing, you're going to have to bring this to the door of the tabernacle before it's accepted from you. It kind of kills the theory of I can worship God on the creek bank as good as I can at the church house, don't it? And I hear that a lot. Y'all ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Don't raise your hand. That's a trap preacher to do. He'll say, well, don't raise your hand. Three people don't get their hands up. I did, I did. Yeah. But think about that. He said, if you do that and you don't bring them, 
to where you're supposed to bring them, why, why did they have to bring them there? Because they didn't have an altar of sacrifice in the field or in the camp. Nor did they have a place to sprinkle the blood in the field of the camp. Amen? Now, don't get me wrong. Since we're the temple of God, we can worship anywhere. But for a person to use that excuse to say, I don't have to go to church, is dead wrong. It's a, it's a one thing to not be able to go to church. It's another thing to say, I don't have to go to church. You see the difference? And I always ask people when I hear crazy remarks like that, I ask them, well, what is the church? What is the church? The church is the body. Well, I'm already the church. Really? It's a finger. <laughs> then why did Jesus say what he did to Peter about his recognition of him being the Christ, the Son of the living God? Why did he say, well, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. <laughs> Did he say that? Yep. Did Paul teach us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is? Yep. See, this is something that ain't new. <laughs> it's, it's been going on ever since there was a church. But you said build the church, and that's where you build. I mean, the people have to build from there. Yeah. The when Christ spoke, to Revela in Revelation, he spoke to the seven churches. Okay? He's speaking to congregations of people. That's what he's speaking to. He was speaking to a place where his people congregated, where they assembled. He was talking to the assemblies of these churches. And that's who he was speaking to. He didn't address the fellow out there on the creek bank. He talked to the churches. Okay. Any comments on that? The people of the church. Talked to the churches. People. And so he said, so uh, they, can, they can bring their sacrifices if they want to, which they offer in the open field. And he's talking here now about peace offerings. That this was allowed, they could, they could uh, make their offerings down in the open field, that they might bring them unto the, the Lord, unto the door of the congregation, unto the priest, and offer them for peace offerings unto the Lord. And so these things had to all be brought to the, to the tabernacle to go through the proper procedure <coughs> that the Lord had laid out to Moses. Any variation of that was not accepted by God. So, you know, it was one thing for a man to say, oh my goodness, I have so much work. Jesus understood when you got an ox in the ditch. He made that plain. He also made it plain that the Sabbath was not, a man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for a man. So he understood that there's times when you've got this gigantic field, because back then they had to raise their crop. Everything was done by hand. And he knew when the crops were ready, you had to pick them. When the animals needed this or that, you had to be there to, to, to take care of those animals. That was your life and your livelihood. He understood that. But you don't go shoving the ox off in the ditch. But there's a difference, that's right, there's a difference between 
I, I would love to be there, but I got to be here. There's a difference between that and saying, I'd rather be here and not be there. Y'all see the difference? Yeah. So for all those that would say that, he'd say, <clears throat> well, that's fine. If you don't want to be here, fine. But you better bring that animal here. I'm going to cut you off. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the way God felt about it. Yeah. This argument sounds good here. Football game or a bass tournament, it'd rather be there than here. He understands. You know, he knows our gypsies are going to gypsy out on us here pretty soon. But that don't, you know, the, the thing about it is that just because they're not here don't mean they're not at church. Yeah. And so uh, we, we need to consider the church, how important church is. The body of believers coming together is an important part of God's plan for his church. The body of believers coming together to do things just like we're doing right now. To learn. To study together. To pray together to find out what Glenn needs. Accountability. Yeah, it's responsibility. It's it's taking a part and being a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We all got to do our part. And so we come here for that purpose. We come here to see who we need to pray for, find out what's going on with brothers, find out why somebody's not been here in a while, or find out if somebody's sick, or or, or we can help somebody. Well, that's what it's about. What church is about. It's doing the, the good works because we've been created in Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. You know, uh, what goes through my mind is something, so many names going through my head as we speak that say they're Christian and they believe in the Bible and the Lord and won't go to church. <clears throat> I don't. I just try to let it go with that. And say, well, you ought to rethink that. But uh, brother Gary just brought up the football games and the, and the basketball games and all that stuff. And it dawned on me that the Bible says, "Be not unevenly yoked with unbelievers." They don't mind going to that game with unbelievers. But they won't come to church because they don't think they have to gather together. It's just so confusing trying to explain it to people. That's where it gets sticky. Well, you know, there's a difference between doing something like that every once in a while and continuously yeah. doing it. And I think that's where the issue really comes in. That I'm not going to say it's good to do that at all, but I'm going I'm to. I think it's more of a repetitive thing that they just continue to do. And I'm gonna, uh, y'all know, if I figure everybody's pretty much the same way I am. I can miss a week of church and I know it. Mm -hmm. I can miss two weeks of church and I really know it. If you miss once, it's all, it's easier to miss twice and it just yeah. gets easier. You miss three or four oh, yeah. and you don't care where you go back or not. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's something that you've got to maintain, just like you have to maintain the power of the Spirit <clears> inside <throat> of you you have to, because Jesus, whenever he went into a city, you know where he always went if they had one? Went to synagogue. Why? The Bible tells us why. It's his habit. It was his custom. It was his habit. He was in the habit of when he was at a temple, he went to that temple. Now, if he did that, what do you think we're supposed to do? 
Might order coffee. You know, I said at, at our men's breakfast one time, I didn't really understand what a devotional was. And, it, and I looked it up, and it was moving you forward in your Christianity. That's something you build on. And that's the same thing as, as coming to church. It's building on your Christianity. That's right. It's from the cornerstone. That's right. It's, it's building Jesus up. It's the cornerstone, and that's where you build up from. Yeah. And we come here to build one another up. That's it. And, and increase your Christianity and your faith and your belief. Right. And, and to learn what we're learning tonight. Right. And then he goes on to say, and there shall be no more offer, uh, offerings to sac uh, sacrifices to devils. And already the children of Israel, he said, have gone a whoring after them. There was already some of the things brought from Egypt that they were still doing. And God was aware of them. Still going on now. Well, it's probably worse now than it was then. Probably. And, and so once once he brings that up, now verses eight. <coughs> uh, I tell you what, let's go ahead and somebody read the rest of the chapter, verses eight through sixteen. Just eight verses. Somebody read that for me right quick. I'll read it. Okay. Also, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who <coughs> eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird, that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what died naturally, or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Okay, so notice that immediately after he, he tells them that they shall no more offer their sacrifice unto devils, now, what is one of the, the rituals of devil worship? I know what one of the rituals are. They drink blood. Amen? Yeah. And, y'all, there's, there's a lot more devil worshipers than you know about. And I remember uh, several years back now, over here at Smith Park, over in Arkansas, they had a, a 
a cult that had met over there, and they left some gruesome left behinds, and they had the satanic symbols written in blood on the building over there. And uh, this this not too long after I got out of high school, so it might have been a long time ago, but a good while ago. But that happened in our in Miller County, Arkansas, over there. Well, they said they found that kind of stuff under the under the underpass, and I went and stayed stayed with the manager and his wife in Hillsborough, Texas, in an old two-story house. And they took me upstairs and said, "You'll sleep in this room. This is where there was a." a murder-suicide happened, and they took me to the next room and said, this room right here is where they worship the devil. Yeah, and some believe that if they drink the blood of an animal or human, they receive that power that that animal or human had to themselves. It, it's a wicked thought, and why they would do that. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine and taking a bowl of blood and turning it up and drinking. I can't imagine doing that. So he says, uh, he, he, when he makes that statement uh, in verse uh, 7, he, gets, he goes into a, a, a uh, just, he just keeps on talking about the blood. I, I marked it, uh, let's see, there's, and I probably didn't even get them all, I just did it quickly, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven references to blood in uh, verses 10, 10 through 14. Seven references of blood, to blood. He's serious about this blood because of what they had been using it to do was to, they used it in their worship of devils. And so he, he said that he gave this warning uh, that, uh, uh, you know, the, the people, he said that, that eateth any manner of blood, I will set my face against that soul that eateth blood. What he says. Now, I know a lot of people today that eat meat that's bloody. That was my next question. Does that include very rare steaks? No, not now. Okay, now down south Louisiana, they got blood boudin. Does that include that? No, but and I'll tell you why. Because of what Christ did. This is all null and void. If you I say this. I really don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Sam, do you know the answer to that? Well, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I mean, uh, whether it's your blood, animal blood, or whatever. I mean, it's what he said, he forbids it, doesn't he? And not only that, he says if you kill an animal, he wants you to drain the blood out of it. Mm -hmm. And do what? Cover it up. Don't just pour it out on the ground and cover it up. Okay? what it says. So the next time you people with these steaks rare, <laughs> think about this pressure right here. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just, I just don't know where we go from here. We may well find it in I like what Troy did, said though, he, that's gravy. Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, don't do this. And he says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then he said, but there's another reason. It is the blood that maketh an atonement for your sins. So we don't drink the blood of Christ. The blood, the blood of the animals no longer makes an atonement for our sins. The blood of Christ does. But his life was still in that blood. Okay? 
And so there's some you just have to, y'all research it and let me know what you find out. <laughs> if I have time, I might do it. I would think that when they butcher a cow, they drain the blood out of it and you can't get all the blood out of the meat. Yeah. But I wouldn't think that really had an effect. Yeah. Anyway, he, he goes on to say uh, that it's an atonement. It's one of the other reasons that does it. And then in verse 12, he says, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that lives among you. And in verse 13, he, he tells them what to do with the blood of the animals when they kill them. Verse 14, For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life is in the blood. Now there's a lot of people say that the dietary laws, because he's talking about what they eat, is no longer applicable to our day. So there could be an argument made for this right here. But he says, uh, and again, for the life of the flesh, he just keeps saying this over and over and over. You think he's trying to make a point? Yeah. He's wanting them to understand it because it meant life or death to them. And, and, but, and then he also says, whoever shall eat shall eateth it shall be cut off, and every soul that eateth that which died of itself, now he goes to a different scenario. Because the, the Jewish people later on was thought it was a sin to eat something that was had its flesh torn. And so uh, that was killed by another animal. Matter of fact, I'm not so sure later on in the laws, he don't make that a law for them. I he think he does. But he they found dead. Yeah. And, but here, he, 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 he lets them buy with that. He figures if they're hungry enough to eat something, something, something already killed, they're pretty hungry. So let them eat, but they, they're unclean. And so they have to go through this procedure. They have to bathe in soap and water and be unclean, uh, unclean until the evening. And then it says in verse 16, but if he wash them not, if he, if he eats something that's been killed, uh, already killed or torn by beasts, and he does not wash his clothes nor bathe his flesh, he shall bear that iniquity. So the Lord gave him a way to, to make himself clean again ceremonially but if he refused to do that, he remained unclean. That meant that's what it meant by bearing his iniquity. He was unclean. And so uh, the Lord is in this verse right here. And I wish I'd have studied a little bit more on this blood stuff. And I don't know that uh, that I could find all the answers we we would have for the questions. But I do know what he says here about the blood. He just didn't want those people putting it in their mouths at all. Any questions or comments? I think the American Indians ate a lot of raw meat and liver and stuff like that raw. Yeah, they probably did. My thinking on that would be that blood was for the sacrifice of the temple. Sacrifices. And they were to keep that mindset that that is where it's supposed to be and don't Dishonor it by just partaking of it yeah. on a regular basis. And, and the reason he keeps living, making a uh, reference to the life is in the blood is because that animal had to give his life, and that's why he gave it. They had to drain this animal's blood, and that, that life is what gave them an atonement or forgiveness for their sins. Yeah, but the Lord's Supper, we 
is representing Jesus' blood. Sir, the Lord's Supper is representing Jesus' blood, and we would take of that. Yeah. All right. They drained all the blood out of Jesus. Yeah, they got it all from him. No. Maybe that, like if you kill a deer or any animal, you're going to gut it, and you're going to, it's all the blood is going to run out of it. There's going to be some that stays in there, but it's, mm -hmm. its life is gone. I might have to start covering that blood up, though. <laughs> Well, most people do. It's usually out on the ground. Yeah, well, that's what we used to do with the guts and stuff of the animals. We, yeah, we dug we home bear. <laughs> and then the dog come there. along, dig it all up, and have to bury it again. <laughs> all right, we just stand, please. Thank y'all for being here tonight, and thank you for your input and your paying attention. And I really enjoyed the the sacrificial part that related to the picture of Christ that we saw in the scripture. And I, I just pray that it gave you a, a better understanding of what what Christ really has done for us. And I love all of y'all. Don't forget, guys, me and breakfast Saturday morning. So come on and bell and whistles on, and uh, I'll try to remember to be here. So, uh, <laughs> don't freeze the baby. <coughs> Do what? I said, don't leave the baby frozen. <coughs> oh, I, I was supposed to have got that and brought it tonight, but I didn't do that. So it ain't even here yet. <laughs> Brother Jim Boston, you dismiss it, please. And Lord, we just thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for this wonderful weather that we've enjoyed. Lord, just ask you to be with us as we go away from this place. Let us take with us what we have studied tonight. Keep in mind the symbolism of Christ we find here in the, in the Old Testament. Lord, those that are standing in need of prayer, we just ask you to be with them and touch them in the way that you see fit. Lord, we just ask for travel grace to return to our homes and just give us opportunity to come back the next time. We ask these things right now. Amen, Amen brother.